0: Bring it on, we're tough, we can handle this, let's just get out that blade and that four-wheel drive and life goes on. This is the Midday Program of the Rural Radio Network. Attesting to that is our own Susan Littlefield, who spent the night in accommodations. How did they treat you over there? Oh, always well. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And Jason Jorgensen, did you have a fluffy pillow last night too? Oops, we're not plugged in over there, son. There's oh, we're not? There we go. How about yeah, that? No complaints. No complaints. Good, good, good. All right. And Bob Brogan, of course, he was able to be in his own bed last night. So
1: I was.
0: And he's here. Put on the muck lugs. Let
2: walk, it snow, let it snow, let it there.
3: snow. Walked in at 5 this morning, and Bob Brogan was already here.
0: Was he? Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure that Bob ever leaves sometimes. (laughs) I wasn't
1: bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but
4: I was here.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we hope that it's being done safely, slowly, and that you are making your way through. I know that eastern Nebraska is just getting pounded at this time as we're looking at our radar picture. And uh, all the best to all of you along the line at the Rural Radio Network. Thank you, Skeleton Crews, for hanging out with us. And all of you listeners as well who have been with your local station, the Rural Radio Network. It is Susan Littlefield who gets first up here on the Midday Roundtable to find out what's going on in the next hour and a half or so. Coming
2: up at 1219, we're going to look at an update on the EPA's Comprehensive Environmental Response, Compensation, and Liability Act. And that will come with Jordan Ducks of the Nebraska Farm Bureau to give us an overview of what this is all going to mean to farmers and ranchers and how they will comply. With it. At uh, 1245, there is a new executive director for the Nebraska State Fair. Her name is Lori Cox. She hails from the great state of Montana. So she will be joining Shaylee Peters at 1245. Then at 117, Tom Brees will talk about property tax bill LB-1085.
0: Very nice. And Shaylee has already reported to us that uh, the interview that she conducted with the new Nebraska State Fair manager was just a joy. Yeah. Wonderful.
2: That's nice to have a nice
0: positive view as we move into 2018. thousand eighteen. We're Looking forward to it. Jason Jorgensen, what happened in the NFL?
3: We know who will play in the Super Bowl. I know this will come as a surprise, but New England Patriots were one of the teams. So. <laughs>
0: but they had to work a little harder than <laughs> you know, usual yesterday you know, afternoon. The only thought that I had with about, what was it, 518 or something left mm-hmm. on the clock was uh, I, I was saying to myself, this is too much time <laughs> to give Brady. Yep. <laughs> And it was. so, But credit the uh, Jaguars. They
3: were a game opponent yesterday, that's yeah, for sure. They were, yeah. show they were legit. Of course, um, was a tough night for Vikings fans as yeah, the purple Minnesota's nuts. issues in NFC title games continue. Yeah. Also coming up, we'll talk some Husker basketball. A lot of folks excited about Nebraska, especially the way they played last Thursday when they blew out Michigan. They have a big game tonight on the road against 22nd-ranked Ohio State. The Buckeyes have been one of the real surprises so far in the league. We will touch on that, and we'll tell you more about a, another newcomer who verbally committed to the Husker football program over the weekend.
0: Excellent. Can't go a couple of days without finding yeah, out some good Scott news. Scott Frost done a nice job. Yep, Bob Rogan on business.
1: Bob Ryan says that the House is going to pass a new Senate stopgap measure, but that could change because uh, things have been seesawing back and forth. So we're okay. watching that situation quite closely. The markets uh, closely, the markets up. The Dow 30 industrials passed 26,000, so we're watching that as well.
0: And I believe that Senate vote is a kind of... Uh on hold right now, so uh, we'll see whether or not they start voting here soon on whether or not they can break the filibuster that has kept uh, things in check. We also want to let you know that the AMS Marketing Service was given dispensation, and so the market news that you normally hear from USDA in our afternoon segments on many of these stations will be heard as normal for today. That's all coming up today on Midday. We're beginning to see a few holes develop in this thing, but there are still some pockets of very heavy snow in eastern and east-central Nebraska.
4: Yeah, definitely to the east of Grand Island, it looks like from about Lexington to Grand Island, that's uh, snow getting pretty spotty. If you're going along I-80, we actually have no snow falling towards the Kearney area, but basically east of Grand Island to about York, uh, some darker shades on the radar there with some heavier amounts of snow from Norfolk down to Columbus and just to the south of Grand Island. Uh, That snow continuing to fall and visibility is very low in some areas. But most of the snow right now in east central Nebraska from about Grand Island to Seward and points to the north and south of that. Otherwise, just um, strangling amounts of snow from Orr down to Lexington, down to Cambridge and Norton and Phillipsburg as the snow starts to wrap up in many locations reporting about 10 to 12 inches of snow with this system, especially to the north of IED. We also
0: we- had some reports. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no I was no just problem. going to say, in case you're, uh, we, this is you know, closing in on an hour uh, old, but uh, of course we want to give you the information if it's still. Uh, possible to alert you to the fact that I-80 at Waco was being diverted at one point and the goner to beaver crossing area also was being exited westbound on i 80 to a jackknife semi so it hasn't been very good going out there and be very careful if you are getting out in it even though we are beginning to see it break up a little bit and the shovels come out this weather watch is being brought to you by Kuhlman repair
4: and just to run down the advisories for you blizzard warning still in effect until about the middle part of the afternoon for central and most of eastern nebraska also into north central kansas now extreme southwest nebraska towards McCook, northwest kansas you were lifted from the blizzard warning but it still is into effect in the to the early to mid-afternoon hours mainly due to the blowing snow across the area uh, winter storm warning still in effect up until about the noon hour from Ainsworth to Thedford, a very small area there. They've had upwards of about 7 to 14 inches of snow, and the blowing snow making travel difficult there. Winter weather advisory in far southeast Nebraska into east central Kansas. Rain changing to snow today. Slippery roads and accumulations there of about 2 to 4 inches. It's all thanks to some low pressure. It's currently tracking through southern Iowa. It will head to the Great Lakes and gradually... uh, end our snow chances across the area that area of high pressure starts building in from the northwest that will clear skies and diminish the winds the nice thing about this system is in behind it we're not going to see a big blast of cold air since we will see air from the west instead of the north out of canada the rest of the weekend of the weekend looks mostly quiet a weak front tomorrow night will be moisture starved and only basically switch our winds around to the north the ridge of high pressure expands east onto the plains begin a warming trend for the mid to late week thursday going to be our warmest day looking to see temperatures in into the 40s in many locations it may even be warmer if more snow disappears and we get bigger effects from that ridge of high pressure otherwise another area of low pressure and a cold front arrive on friday but with this system the rain or snow chances look to be across eastern kansas and missouri This system will cool it down just a bit over the weekend, but that's about it. Then temperatures warm slightly again for next week. In our long-term forecast, temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas look to be seasonal to near normal this weekend and early next week. Temperatures trend slightly cooler than normal in Nebraska in the northern third of Kansas the middle part of next week through February 4th. The southern two-thirds of Kansas will stay seasonal for precipitation. Our outlook calls for near normal to slightly above normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through February 4th. In the markets, the weather factors include the blizzard conditions from the Central Plains to the northern Midwest, a dry outlook in the southern plains, mostly favorable weather in Brazil, And a warm dry pattern in Argentina. Moderate to heavy snow in the northern Midwest will affect the transportation. And behind this system, no significant cold weather expected in the next 7 to 10 days. Dry weather will continue across the southern plains wheat areas. On the good side, though, no damaging cold weather expected in the next 10 days. It'll still be warmer and drier in Argentina the next few days. That pattern bears some watching as limited rain and seasonal temperatures increase the stress on corn and soybeans, especially as corn now begins to pollinate. The best chance for any showers in Argentina coming up on Friday. Weather in southern Brazil, For developing soybeans, is favorable. Drier conditions in central Brazil mainly favors the maturing of soybeans and early harvest.
0: I was just focusing in on Danabrog here. I think uh, your folks are probably just getting uh, pelted (laughs) with the snow right now. So you're going to have to move on out of here and go up and shovel walks, I understand.
4: Uh, No. No? (laughs) i got enough to scoop in my house.
0: The uh, ag weather has <laughs> been brought to you by Kuhlman Repair. Looks like it is being uh, starting to uh, break into uh, a little bit of a more uh, broken pattern right now, except in eastern Nebraska. So if you're traveling, uh, take that into consideration that these uh, these. Travel conditions, especially in the, east, the eastern half of Nebraska, are not going to be improving here probably before they get a little worse.
4: And, and like right now, we've, we're looking at wind gusts in many of these locations upwards of 45 to 50 miles per hour, and those conditions will continue to move to the east. and. It may be just snowing a little bit, that wind just blowing that snow really causing a lot of havoc.
0: Yeah, so when you say, when you imagine a blizzard, that's that's what it looks like, what you're uh-huh. seeing right yeah, now. Yeah, we got a good taste of it. In the eastern half of the state of Nebraska. And those of you in the west, happy digging because it's uh, that 10 inches and 12 inches are uh, not easy to get out from under sometimes. But hang in there, hang together, we'll get through this thing. Brought to you by Coolman Repair, our ag weather with Paul Perkins when you need weather anytime.
4: KRVN.com.
5: While the USDA is allowing more pigs to be processed, pork packing companies are scaling back production. ADM may be gearing up to make a big buy, and how much extra feed cattle need in blizzard conditions. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Last week, the USDA cleared all pork processing plants to increase production up 17% after a five-year pilot program. The program found that it's safer for workers because of technology utilized to handle the increased numbers, and the plants handled the added inventory without issue. Now, though, Dow Jones reports that packers are scaling back the kill run at many plants. Last week, the hog slaughter fell from 2.45 million head the previous week to just 2.34 million head. The decrease in slaughter numbers comes as packer profit margins started to slip. After cutting back the kill run last week, margins do appear to be returning for now. The storm this week will also hinder packing plants, making for two weeks of reduced slaughter numbers. In other ag news, Archer Daniels Midland, or ADM, has made a takeover approach to Bungie LTD, setting up a possible bidding war after Glencore PLC earlier made an overture to the agriculture powerhouse. Details of the ADM approach are unclear, and it's possible neither company would succeed in buying Bungie which has a market evaluation of about $9.8 billion. ADM's valuation currently sits at $22.6 billion. Mining conglomerate Glencore approached White Plains, New York-based Bungie, which ranks among the world's largest traders and processors of crops like soybeans and corn. The Wall Street Journal reported in May that the two companies have a standstill agreement, temporarily preventing Glencore from making a hostile bid for Bungie. It's unclear whether the expression of interest from ADM negates the standstill. People close to the situation. still expect, if Glencore doesn't make a move now, that they will re-engage with Bungie once the standstill expires. ADM and Bungie represent the A and B in the so-called ABCDs of the global commodity trading companies that dominate the worldwide flow of basic foodstuffs and commodities. Minnesota-based Cargill and Louis-Dreyfus commodities, headquartered in the Netherlands, are the other two of the components. A deal with Bungie would represent a strategic shift with a Chicago-based ADM, which competes with Bungie in the business of buying, selling, and processing crops. While ADM maintains one of the world's largest ag trading networks, the company in recent years has prioritized investing in food ingredients and flavorings, which executives tout is more profitable and more stable than the sometimes volatile grain industry. While the merger is unclear between ADM and Bungie, it would likely face stiff regulatory hurdles given the company's competing grain facilities, shipping terminals, and processing plants. While the snow was let up in part of the state, the wind is still blowing plenty of it around. Still, no matter how cold and snowy the conditions get, ranchers are out taking care of their herds. How much is enough feed to maintain a cow through a cold snap? Perina Livestock Production Specialist Seth Bredemeyer has the answer.
1: But During these colder temperatures, we'll see a cow's feed intake increase by roughly around 20% during cold weather. Um, before temps drop increase the amount of feed being delivered to those cows this gives them a chance to kind of get ahead of that cold weather and provide additional hay or offer 20 percent more at the bunk increasing intake will increase the amount of fermentation in the rumen and one of the biggest waste products of fermentation is heat if you provide cows with more energy and get more forage into the rumen more fermentation happens and more heat is produced the process helps keep. Cows warm from the inside out.
5: Remember, too, during a snowstorm, a cow's better to be seen with snow on her back than have the snow already melting. Stay warm and stay safe out there today. We'll keep the ag news, markets, and weather coming your direction. I'm Clay Patton. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
6: property tax bill lb-1085 has been introduced to the nebraska legislator i'm shaley peters on the rural radio network and here to visit with us today about that is the senator who introduced it tom Breezy of albion and senator you announced this bill last week introduced it last week and so property tax is kind of a hot topic kind of a buzzword here in nebraska talk to us about this bill that you introduced
1: well, thank you, Shaley. The, the bill I've introduced is the culmination of a collaborative bipartisan effort by a variety of stakeholders. We're excited about it here, but I first want to point out that Nebraskans deserve a fair and balanced tax structure, but Nebraskans also realize there's nothing we do that is more important to the future of our state than how we educate our young people. My bill recognizes both of those principles, Shaley. Uh, it will provide immediate and substantial property tax relief for hardworking Nebraskans. It will identify sources of revenue to fund the rate that relief, while at the same time protecting the ability of education to prepare our young folks for the jobs and careers of the 21st century. And it will provide soft cap taxing limits to ensure relief. And it's apparent from other ideas that have been tried in the past that any successful tax measure must travel a bipartisan path. And I believe that everyday hard-working Nebraskans uh, will support this measure.
6: And as I mentioned, there's been a lot of talk around property tax and what we could or could not be doing, should or should not be doing. How does this bill directly address property tax relief? What is written into it that's really going to give us property tax relief?
1: the bill provides raises revenue from various sources, including sales tax, excise tax, income tax sources. It directs dollars from these sources to increase state funding of K-12 education. Roughly, it will triple the amount of dollars in the property tax credit fund as drafted. It will then limit the uh, ability of K-12 districts to limit the property tax asking authority of K-12 districts to ensure long uh, lasting property tax relief. But that limitation uh, on the ability to leverage property tax is going to be what I consider a soft cap. There'll be safeguards built in to ensure that uh, our K-12 schools have the ability to fund the education systems that we need. Uh, finally, it will require Department of Education study to uh, find long-term solutions to the K-12 funding issue, a study that uh, will be uh, culminated by the end of 2018.
6: And Senator Brisey, do you have numbers on what that looks like when you put it on paper? What kind of relief will this offer property owners?
1: I'm anxious to get the numbers back from the uh, legislative fiscal office in very rough terms. Uh, This bill, as written, could have the potential to reduce property tax bills by 25%, give or take. There would be a wide range there that I wouldn't feel extremely comfortable in uh, narrowing down too precisely. But the 25%, give or take, is uh, what we're targeting here.
6: Anything additionally, Senator Brisey, while I've got you on the line here?
1: Well, this bill has the potential to deliver the fair and balanced tax structure that hardworking Nebraskans deserve. And uh, that is my hope, that we can get this bill across the finish line.
6: All right. Thanks so much, Senator Tom Bracey of Albion, talking about his bill, LB-1085. For more, visit ruralradio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
0: You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska's busiest week of the
3: season begins tonight as the Huskers are on the road in Columbus, Ohio, to take on the 22nd-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, Nebraska comes into this one having played well. They've won seven out of their last nine and following that impressive victory over 23rd-ranked Michigan last Thursday. Now, Ohio State has been a surprise team this year. Head coach Tim Miles says their coaching staff has done a great job.
7: It's just remarkable to me that uh, they've been able to, uh, the buy-in factor is so good. Chris and his staff, does, and we know those guys, of course, well. Chris does such a good job, and and the buy-in from the players is so good. You can just see it. They, they're they just all in. It's not necessarily an empty cover there. So, uh, so I, I think that what you have to commend Chris is, is you know he's a rock solid uh really good coach
3: First year head coach Chris Holtman has Ohio State ranked 22nd they are sporting a 17 and 4 record after a big win over Minnesota tonight's game will start at 7 Central Villanova maintained its hold on number one of the AP Top 25, while another bunch of Wildcats found themselves sliding out of the rankings for the first time in almost four years. Kentucky slid out of today's latest poll after losses to South Carolina and Florida, snapping a 30-game home winning streak for the Wildcats in SEC play. That dropped coach John Calipari's Wildcats out of the rankings for the first time since March of 2014 and snapped a 68-week stretch in that poll. Well, the Nebraska women's basketball team continues to surprise, and they continue to be road warriors. As yesterday, they upset 25th-ranked Rutgers, 52-42. to It's Nebraska's eighth consecutive road victory. Also was the first home loss of the year for Rutgers. For Nebraska, they were led by freshman center Katie Kane. in another big game with 14 points and eight rebounds. The Huskers are now 14-6 overall, 5-2 in Big Ten action. They're back at home on Wednesday when they take on Purdue. And Tom Brady and the New England Patriots are going back to the Super Bowl in search of a sixth title. They'll face Philadelphia, a team looking for its first Lombardi trophy. Brady led the Patriots back from a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit to knock off the Jaguars 24-20 in the AFC title game. And Nick Foles, a backup quarterback who was thrust into the starting role when Carson Wentz blew out his left knee last month, led Philadelphia to an easy 38-7 victory of the Vikings in the NFC title game. The Super Bowl is set for February 4th in Minneapolis. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio
8: Network. I'm Dave Schroeder. Blizzard Warning continues in eastern and south-central Nebraska with uh, Winter Weather Advisory in the extreme southeast part of Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. Winter storm is moving through the state. Governor Pete Ricketts was joined by state officials this morning to talk about the state's response to winter weather conditions. Nebraska Emergency Management Agency Assistant Director Brian Tuma addressed several matters, including the number of people without power across the state.
9: Hard to get a real uh,
1: solid number on that, but it would appear that we have uh, somewhere around 5,500 customers that might be without power, uh, maybe upwards of about 1.2 percent of the electrical grid impacted by by those outages so as we all know in Nebraska w- wet heavy snow and ice on power lines with high winds uh, can create problems for the electrical infrastructure so we will monitor that
8: Tuma says officials are also monitoring the state's rivers for ice jams he says there are only some minor ice jam concerns the present time but he says with the freezing and thawing conditions expected over the coming days some problems could occur He says they have not received any requests for assistance from local jurisdictions and do not plan to activate their state emergency operations center, but will continue to monitor conditions. Officials say they've cleaned up the majority of eastern Omaha homes found to have high lead concentrations. Almost 300 properties were removed from the city's Superfund site last year. Testing originally revealed more than 14,000 homes with high lead levels. There are now less than 1,000 properties that need to be remediated. Cleanup requires removing about a foot of dirt, which is then replaced and covered with sod. The city was labeled a Superfund site largely due to contamination from a lead refining plant that operated near the riverfront until 1997. The city took over cleanup duties from the Environmental Protection Agency through a cooperative agreement in 2015. The city has spent about $3.2 million in funds from the EPA on staff, soil testing, and cleanup. A former Uber and Google executive are running for the Democratic nomination of Kansas Secretary of State, Brian McClendon's announcement is a sign that Democrats are making a serious run at an office held by Republican incumbent Chris Kobach. Kobach, an early Kansas supporter of President Donald Trump, is now running for governor. McClendon said Trump's election helped spur him to return to leave Silicon Valley and return to Kansas. Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. I'm Dave Schroeder in the News Center.
6: nebraska state fair has named their new executive director good afternoon i'm Shaylee peters joining you here on the rural radio network and i've got the new executive director miss lori cox on the line with us today lori first of all congratulations and welcome to nebraska we are so excited to have you here and it was just announced that you have been named in the new executive director for the nebraska state fair and you come to us from Montana. So just give us a little bit of your background as we welcome you to
10: Nebraska here. Well, thanks, Shaley. I'm just a happy, happy camper. I'm glad to be a part of Nebraska and uh, excited about all of the history that Nebraska has in agriculture. I come from an ag group myself, so it's nice to be involved in such a prolific ag society.
6: Now, Lori, you mentioned your ag background. So go into some more detail On that, what got you interested in even state fairs to begin with or the fair scene to begin with? You come to us from the Big Sky Country State Fair in Montana. Give us some more details on that.
10: Well, you know, way back, I began my fair career after coming off of about 15 years of marketing experience. I started at Montana State Fair in my first marketing role, and that was in Great Falls, Montana. And from there, I went to Western Idaho Fair in the same capacity. And so those those two experiences were just a tremendous change for me um, as a, as an individual, really. And having that exposure into the world of fair management, it was just priceless. Uh, I took a little detour after that time and worked for the Montana State University Alumni Foundation, and worked predominantly on the mont the first Montana Plant Sciences Chair, the first chair in the College of Agriculture at Montana State. And was very proud of of that time frame where we raised uh, $5 million toward that chair from producers. We went door to door, tractor to tractor, and built that chair. It was pretty phenomenal. And then, all of a sudden, uh, our small Gallatin County Fair in Bozeman, Montana, had an opening for a general manager. And I departed from the foundation to take that opportunity to lead. And... We went through a branding effort uh, to change the name to Big Sky Country State Fair to match the growing demand in Bozeman, Montana, and uh, the rest is history. It's been a, a phenomenal, phenomenal experience having these fairs in my background.
6: And as this position became available, what caught your attention? What are some of the reasons that you uh, looked at the Nebraska State Fair position
10: and decided to pull the trigger? Well, you know, I have to say the agricultural component is absolutely in the top two reasons of coming. I, I just cannot tell you what it's like to be able to walk into a room full of people, and I'm speaking about the board because they're the ones I know first and foremost now, and, and have that, um, close-knit feeling of Aggies in the, in the same room. It just, it just feels right. And so I think from the, from the onset of meeting these folks early in December, it has been just, um, a great conversation, if that makes any sense, and having that uh, vision for promoting agriculture from a production ag standpoint. I'm very passionate about it. Want want to be able to reach out into the hearts and minds of Americans across this whole country and really be able to draw forward an experience for, for those patrons uh, that they've never had before.
6: Obviously, you're going to hit the ground running here in Nebraska. Is there anything you have on your radar right out of the gates or anything as we look towards August? It seems like a long ways off August and September, but really it's not. And you guys work hard all year round. So when you look at the state fair and the undertaking you have ahead of you, what have you got on your radar, Lori?
10: Well, the first thing that's really important to me is being able to um, really develop that team, uh, team dynamic with my staff, and making sure that uh, I'm really listening to where they're at already in the programming, uh, certainly on the event and competitive side of the fair, and what the, where the holes are. I'm a big uh, believer in discovering holes and filling those holes. So that's what we'll be concentrating on first. I don't have any expectations that there's a whole thing, a lot of things that are going to need to be changed right away, because quite frankly, uh, this is Nebraska's fair, and I'm going to do a lot of listening. And once we once we get through this first cycle, uh, then we'll be able to, to start to foster a, a greater vision, and, and I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. Anything additionally while I've got you on the line? Well, thank you so much, Haley, and I just really am excited to be able to, you know, get down in in the midst of all of the workmanship of the fair and and really learn a lot more about, in particular, the agricultural components, but all the entertainment components as well. And. Really make this a, a shining star in in all of the heartland.
6: Thanks so much. It's Lori Cox, newly named executive director of the Nebraska State Fair, joining us on the line today. Congratulations to you again, Lori. Welcome to Nebraska. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
2: Good afternoon. As we look at the happenings of this livestock trade today, we, of course, saw some green on the screen in the live cattle and the feeder cattle. For the most part, lean hogs, though, to the downside. Let's find out all the happenings of today's market with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Good afternoon, Joe.
7: Good afternoon. Well, another uh, healthy start to the uh, cattle market this week with uh, uh, triple-digit gains uh, in the first couple of months. Uh, You know, cash last week, uh, pretty strong. But, uh, fun buying once again showing up and that, uh, continues to be, uh, one of the dominant features. We really didn't, uh, move a lot of cattle last week, but, uh, uh, enough and, uh, the expectations were growing for, uh, a better week this week. Now we do have a cattle on feed report coming out Friday, so I suspect, uh, near the end of the week we'll see some profit taking, uh, uh, in the futures, um, and we'll see await the uh, cash trade this week. Then the feeders, uh, next to a little, mostly higher. And the only one that finished lower was the uh, nearby January and that really uh, holding uh, pretty steady toward the uh, index. The rest, uh, uh, a little bit firmer and that uh, just showing that, uh, uh they're discounted that nearby uh, January. Over in the hogs, uh, a little bit lower, and I think uh, cash, uh, seemed to stay low. The cutouts at noon were a little bit lower, so there wasn't a lot of good news to be uh, spread around for the hogs today, and uh, uh, that uh, reflected in the futures market. Now the cutouts in the cattle were higher, or were lower also, but uh, pretty much ignored by the trade today.
2: Thanks so much, Joe. That is a look to the livestock side of today's trade, listening to the Rural Radio Network.
8: The Comprehensive Environmental
11: Response, Compensation, and Liability Act, known as CERCLA, requires facilities to report releases of hazardous substances that are equal to or greater than their reportable quantities within any 24-hour period. Originally, livestock facilities such as feedlots or livestock barns were not intended to be part of it. And were exempt, but after a lawsuit, that is no longer the case. Good afternoon to you on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskit. Jordan Ducks, director of national affairs for Nebraska Farm Bureau, gave an update on Circla at the 2018 Young Farmers and Ranchers Conference this weekend. He explained
12: how Circla goes into effect today. A thing that we've got a lot of questions on, and that folks need to be a little bit prepared for um, on Monday, is a rule dealing with Circla and It's about livestock producers reporting hazardous emissions um, of ammonia and I think it's hydrogen sulfate. And we've had a lot of questions as to how many head does it need to have in order for you to have to comply with this whole thing. This whole thing started with a a law that Congress passed that was never intended for livestock producers like a lot of things. (laughs) and the Humane Society of the United States and other folks sued the federal government and said you had no right to issue an exemption for agriculture you need to have them follow the rule EPA fought that for a while and the courts have essentially said that livestock, that that's true, livestock producers were never truly exempt from the law. Which is funny that the world we live in, last time I checked in this country, the idea of, of what isn't listed in the Constitution directly is inherently not subject to regulation, but that's not the world we live in now. So we have, we livestock producers are technically likely going to be on Monday, subject to circular regulations where you're going to have to report If you have livestock, that's not just a feedlot, but that's also cows on grass. You need to determine whether or not you have the emission releases, the daily emission releases, in order to qualify for someone that has to report.
11: Knowing you may have to report this, Dukes explains why it's actually not that simple to
12: comply with. On EPA's website, they have worksheets you can go through and you can fill that information out. They're not EPA worksheets, they're university worksheets, actually University of Nebraska worksheets. And you can determine what your releases are, roughly, for what we understand them to be, given the science that we understand with how those releases work. There's a lot of questions as to how legally defensible those are. There's a lot of questions as to um, you know how accurate those numbers are. It's a a confusing thing. And so what I will tell you is that you need to determine that for yourself. And this requires you, this is going to sound like the most ridiculous lawyer lobbyist talk you're ever going to hear, and I really apologize. But on Monday, the court will likely release the rule that, that producers are going to have to do this. And essentially, you're reporting this to the EPA, to emergency management folks. You're essentially calling the Coast Guard to tell them you're doing this. And the Coast Guard's not going to be able to pay attention to boats that they're supposed to look at because livestock producers from Nebraska are going to be calling them about their ammonia releases that we think are happening. So uh, you need to go on the EPA website if you'd like to, if you feel you are subject to the regulation, and determine that for yourself.
11: That was Jordan Ducks with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. For more information, they encourage you to log on to their website, which is NEFB.org. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett.
2: Good afternoon. As we take a look at today's market trade, as it gets ready to settle out, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. John Payne joins us, senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Green. Good afternoon, John.
9: Hey, how you guys doing out there?
2: It's a little snowy today, which uh, keeps everybody on their toes.
9: Yeah, I think the first moisture we've gotten out that way, uh, at least south of you, as far as the wheat belt goes. So that's something that I think the trade's been talking about today. What you know, what that means, if anything, and kind of uh, you know going forward here is, is what's the what's the government shutdown and the, and the lack of there. What's what's that going to do to things?
2: Well, I know that they were saying that they kind of came to a compromise on this government shutdown. They just got to vote on it yet. So hopefully they get their act together.
9: Yeah, I think so at, the, at least from the USDA perspective, that's about all we're looking at as far as reflecting. Uh, I think you're still going to get data this week because a lot of this would have been compiled a week ago. But going forward, I don't know if, uh, you know, cattle and feed will be affected or what at the end of the week. But tonight we'll get uh, wheat, wheat updates as far as. Conditions and that that should be something friendly for the markets here. I, you know, I know we were down today, but I look for a setup possibly turnaround Tuesday for the wheat markets as uh, you know conditions are going to continue to stay down and and we're right where we were a year ago. 424 was the closing price on this day a year ago in the March, and actually made a run up to 480 before it kind of fell apart there at the end of the delivery. So it's something
2: most look to. Lots of factors that we have to look at in this grain market. And you did talk about the moisture. And for many producers, it's been extremely dry. Not a lot of protection cover for the wheat, even for the corn and the soybeans to replenish those fields with moisture.
9: Yeah, definitely a different year going into the planting season than we did a year ago. So we're about a dime less than uh, where we were in the average of February a year ago. So for crop insurance purposes, that'll be something that's monitored. I think there's some upside on the corn markets just with that in mind. Dollars a lot weaker than where we were a year ago. and We have this record short position, and I know that's probably something that you talk about a lot with analysts who come on. But it's very difficult for me to want to get too short here. I, I think it's just a very crowded trade to the short side. The rest of the commodity complex has had a good couple of months, and we really haven't seen that in corner weeks. Corner wheat yet. Uh, beans are starting to see their move made, meal specifically leading it higher, but uh, from a corn perspective, it's you know about how much we're going to plan then relative to, the, to South America's conditions to a year ago. So shorter term, I'm pretty friendly for corn. I like 385, 380 levels on the December 18 contract. I just think we'll have a run up there to that 395, $4 level before uh, we get it into the ground.
2: Well, keep things going, and we'll see how what tomorrow brings, and maybe like you said, a turnaround Tuesday.
9: Yeah, stay warm, everybody.
2: Drive safe. All right. Thanks so much, John Payne. Joining us a Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Find out more at DanielsAgMarketing.com for further information. Again, they are still in the discussion stages and coming up with some sort of agreement on the government shutdown. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.